everyone. Welcome to So Good Sisterhood. I'm your host, Julie Mullins, and my husband Todd and I pastor Christ Fellowship Church together. The So Good Sisterhood is a podcast that is all about investing in every girl from every generation. It's this opportunity to have relevant conversations every single month about living intentionally, leading confidently, and loving generously. And hopefully it will leave you saying, that was so good. Well, hey, everyone, welcome back to the So Good Podcast. We are so glad that you're jumping on today. Hey, I just want to take a minute to thank you for listening and supporting the podcast and spreading the word. We love hearing from you, so make sure you leave a comment and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any of the future episodes or some great giveaways in the days ahead. Hey, so this series of episodes is entitled Follow the Leader. It's more than a game. It's a difference maker because who you follow and how you lead who is following you, it matters. It's all about the courage and the confidence that we can have as women who lead in our careers, in our family, and in our churches. You know, a few weeks ago, I sat down for a conversation with a few hundred of our amazing women leaders of all ages here at my home church, Christ Fellowship. And we talked about some of the tensions that we have as women who lead in our careers, on our school campuses, and even on church teams. And one of the greatest tensions that I have had to learn to manage is that tension between being a confident leader and a humble leader. So many times I have felt like I had to compromise my confidence in order to be a humble servant of the Lord, or I have felt that my confidence could be interpreted at times as a lack of humility. And before I jump into this conversation, I just want to say that I've done some deep work in this area through the Word of God, but there's also been two great resources that have been helpful to me. One of them has been Lead Like It Matters by Craig Rochelle, and also a great book by Tim Elmore called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leaders. And so I just wanted to share those resources. And now let's just jump into the conversation. I am going to jump right into this lesson. And I'm so excited about this because this is really hot off the press. I've just been praying about this over the last few days. And and I just really feel like, you know, sometimes you just know you have a word. So this isn't going to be slick or polished, but it's really going to just be from my heart. As I jump in, I was thinking about the fact that in the Old Testament, right, in the Old Testament, that the people of Israel, they had this pattern. And their pattern was when they were obedient and following the ways of God, the nation of Israel would flourish. But when, as a people, they walked away, they were disobedient, and they started to follow the ways of of other gods, they would usually end up suffering the consequences of those decisions. And the consequences of those decisions meant that they would become servants to other nations. They would be conquered by other nations. And so there's this place in the book of Judges, chapter 4, where this is exactly the scenario. The scenario is that for 20 years, the nation of Israel had been under the rule of a wicked king, and this wicked king was Jabin and they had been under the rule and they were just, they were being pushed down. They were being oppressed and they had had enough. And so after 20 years, it says that the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. They began to cry out to the Lord for help and God answered their prayer. And their prayer, the answer to their prayer was he actually gave them a prophet named Deborah. See, Deborah, as a leader in the Old Testament, she was an answer to somebody's prayer. And what I want you to hear right off the bat is that your leadership very well 
could be the answer to someone's prayer. You know, as a teacher, as, as a nurse, as someone in customer service, as a leader here in the church, there are people walking around with no hope. There are parents who are praying for their kids to have somebody to speak a word of encouragement over their student as they go off to school. There are people praying for, for their family members that are in the hospital. And I want you to know that, that your leadership very well could be the answer to someone's prayer. And so in this story, Deborah was the answer to the prayer that the people of Israel cried out. And in Judges 4, verse 4, it says that Deborah was the wife of Lapidoth. She was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. And I'm going to stop right there because what we see right here, right off the bat, is she's a wife, she is a, a prophet, and she's a judge. A prophet and a judge. That means that she had spiritual responsibilities and she had vocational responsibilities. Sound familiar to some of you out there? She, had, she was leading in her community and she was leading in her church. She was a both and leader. And a lot of times I think that we think we have to choose, are we going to lead here or are we going to lead there? But I really believe that when we step into the call that God has on our lives, that we can be both and leaders, that, that we can be both a wife and a leader. We can be both a vocational leader and a leader in the church. And this is what we see in Deborah, that she was a both and leader. And it says that, that she would sit under the palm of Deborah and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. And one day she sent for Barak and Barak was a, a general in the army. And she said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. So she is a prophet who is actually like when she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel commands. She is speaking on behalf of God. And so she tells him that he is going to have victory over Sisera, who is the general of King Jabin's army. And Brock tells Deborah, she's, he says, I will go, but only if you go with me. So that really tells you right off the bat the kind of leader that Deborah was. And what I want to talk about is, is the kind of leader that Deborah was and the kind of leader that, that I believe God's calling us to be, that this both and, that being this leader, the kind of leader that she was, she was a prophet, and a judge. And when I think about Deborah, the title of my message is Extreme Leadership. Extreme Leadership. And what I mean by that is that not riding down the middle, not having to choose, am I going to do this or this, but I may, as a leader, to go to the next level, I may have to go to the extremes. And what I mean by that is being a leader that doesn't settle for either or, but embraces the extremes. And, you know, when I think about this, when I think about what it means to be an extreme leader, we know that, that there are a lot of extremes in leadership, you know, is that it seems like extreme opposites to, to be kind and direct. And what do we say? We can be both. They seem extremely opposites, but to be an extreme leader, we can embrace both. Will I be a teacher or a learner? 
yes, I can be a both and leader and I can be an, an extremely intentional student and I can be an extremely intentional teacher. Was Jesus the lion or the lamb? Seems like extreme opposites. He was both. And what I see in the story of Deborah is that I see these two extremes. She was extremely confident. Like when she began to speak on God's behalf, there wasn't like, I think this is what God might be saying. No, she was like, listen, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. And you're going to go into battle and he is telling you, you are going to have victory. She was completely confident in that. She was confident in being a prophet. And then she was confident in her responsibilities as a judge. But I also see, see something else. I also see this extreme humility. Because in verse nine, it says, very well, she replied after he said, I'm not going to go unless you go with me, right? So there was something in Deborah that, that Barak wanted her next to him when he went to battle. And so she says, very well, I'm going to go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. And I think that's really interesting because when I read this story for the first time, I thought that what she was saying is, hey, what, what I want you to know, Barack, is that if I go with you, that, that you're not going to be the one to receive all the glory from this battle, which is partially true because he is not going to receive the glory for this battle because the, the glory is going to go to a woman. I thought she was talking about herself, but she wasn't even talking about herself. Because later on in the story, and I'm not going to be able to jump all the way there, but later on in the story, there's another woman named Jael, and she is the one that actually seals the victory for the Israeli army by defeating the king of Sisera. And so that what she was saying was, even though you're going to go fight, even though I'm going to go with you and put my life on the line, right, neither you or I are going to get the glory, but we're going to pass the glory on to another leader named Jael. And see, what I see here is this extreme, ex extreme humility in her leadership that, that her leadership was not about her. It was not about her personal safety. She could have stayed right where she was and sent Barack exactly in, into the battle for himself. And God did declare victory. God didn't even tell her that she needed to go. She went because Barack asked her to go. And then she could have also gone and she could have received all that glory herself. But instead, she said, I'm going to pass on the glory to another woman, right? I'm going to share the benefit that comes, the glory and the honor that's going to come, the esteem that's going to come with another woman. And I just thought that was so powerful of what humility does, right? That both confidence, this extreme confidence and this extreme humility, when they come together, is actually beautiful and it's powerful. And I believe that's what we're called to as leaders, to live in these two extremes, right? To be extremely confident, but also to be extremely humble, to be able to share, to share the credit, to be able to share responsibilities, to be able to share a platform. And this is what we're called to. And, you know, I, I think as leaders, we live in this tension of confidence and humility because they seem like they're absolute opposites. I think especially as women, because as women leaders and Christian women leaders, you know, we want to be confident but not overconfident or overbearing because we, you know, we don't want people to think we're, you know, we're trying to grasp for something. We want to be humble, 
but we also don't want to be perceived as, as being weak. I, I, I don't want to be a doormat. So we were constantly in this tension. And I, I think about, you know, we want to be confident and we're afraid if we're overconfident that, that we're going to get a bad rap. Because if a guy is, is overconfident, it's kind of seen as a strength. But if it's a girl, she's kind of called something else, right? And we want to be humble, but then we go, gosh, if we're the only woman in the room or, or, you know, what if, you know, will they not think I'm a competent leader if I'm humble? But what I want you to hear is that, that humility is not weakness, right? Humility is not weakest weakness. The scripture tells us to turn the other cheek and it says that we are more than conquerors. So which one is it? Are we going to be confident or are we going to be humble? And what's the answer? You should know it by now. The answer is yes. We're going to be extremely confident and humble. And this is the deal. There's this tension between confidence and humility. And I think about, you know, in leadership, we live in these tensions. And the word tension, actually the definition of the word tension is two opposite forces that cause extension. Think about this. If this is confidence and humility, and they're, they're pulling, they seem to be pulling in opposite directions, right? But what are they causing? They're causing extension. And what is extension? Extension is growth. And so when we embrace these two extremes, we're actually stepping into a scenario that we can grow in a way that we may have never grown in the past. You can be both confident. As a matter of fact, the more confident you are, the easier that it's going to be to be humble. Because insecure leaders cannot be truly humble. It's, it's too threatening, right? They're, they're either defensive or they're threatened. So you cannot be insecure and humble at the same time. You, and, and the more humble you are, the easier it's going to be for people to be able to speak into your life. The more humble you are, the more questions that you ask, and, and you're going to know more, and you're going to grow in your leadership. So actually, this confidence and humility is actually this tension that is going to cause us to grow. And I, I want to unpack first, because my heart in this whole lesson is really to be able to help you to live an extremely confident life in your leadership and extremely humble. But I want to unpack, first of all, because I think it's foundational, because I think more of us struggle in this area than the other. And that is that, that you're called to be extremely confident. You know, several years ago, Lisa's daughter, Adeline, I was asking her when she was about nine years old, I said, hey, Adeline, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, well, I'm, you know, I'm a really good singer. And so I, I might be a worship leader or I'm really great at, you know, at the Bible. And gosh, I don't know. I have so many gifts and talents. It's really going to be hard for me to choose, right? And in that moment, I just thought that is a picture of confidence. That is the picture of what I wish I could have bottled and poured out on all of you. Because I believe that conversation like became a vision for me of what God sees in us. This is how God sees you that you have so many gifts and talents and abilities, it's just going to be so hard for you to choose, that you are so built up with confidence that honestly, as a nine-year-old, Addie thought she could conquer the world, right? And I call that kind of uninformed confidence because at nine, she had not yet stepped into some of the situations you and I have stepped in where someone decided that they would cut us down a few levels or someone a peer group told us what we were and what we were not good at, or even just seeing on social media, the parties we weren't invited. And our, her confidence had not yet been attacked by the enemy. 
And what I want you to hear is that, that the enemy is a thief and he's come to rob and kill and destroy. And he wants to rob you of your confidence. And I wish I could have just stopped that moment in time, but I couldn't. And there was probably a time in all of our lives when we thought that of ourselves. But I want you to hear even now, this is how God sees you, that, that he sees you as such a masterpiece. He sees you as more than a conqueror. He wants you to have confidence. And the enemy tries to rob you of this confidence so that you will be robbed of your value, so that you will be too insecure to step out of your comfort zone. And I want you to know that this confidence can, that you can have the confidence of Adeline restored in your life, but it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit of work. And so I want you to write this down because this is kind of the simplest definition of confidence that I could come up with. That confidence is knowing who you are and not pretending to be someone else. That sounds really simple, right? It's simple, but it's not easy because when you, even that first line, confidence is knowing who you are. And who you are, are is not what everybody else says you are. Who you are is not even what you have told yourself who you are. Our true identity, we say this a lot around here, that the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And so really being, knowing who you are and pretending not to be anybody else, but stepping into the fullness of what God calls you to is actually, it sounds simple, but it's not easy. I want you to hear right now, your true identity in, in Ephesians, it says that you are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. And to know your true identity is so foundational to having the confidence to be able to lead at the next level to embrace these extremes. And I don't know about you, I can know that scripture. I'm a masterpiece. I am more than a conqueror. I am a daughter of the king. But if you're anything like me, I can find myself that my confidence is kind of like a roller coaster, right? So when when I feel like I've accomplished everything on my to-do list and when I've actually did something well or, you know, finished that project, my confidence is up here. But I find that, that at times when I've dropped a ball and everyone kind of noticed, or when I get upset at work and I, I take it out on somebody else, my confidence can go in the toilet when I fail, right? And so our confidence can be like this, but, but the kind of confidence that I'm talking about is not found in our accomplishments. It's not found in what we do, but to be truly confident, I have to know where to find the confidence that I do not possess. To be truly confident, I have to know where to find the confidence that I don't possess. I might have possessed it when I thought I was doing well, but true confidence, if it wavered when I went down into the valley, that's not the confidence I'm talking about. So I had to, I have to know where to find the confidence I don't possess. Jeremiah 17, seven says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. First Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. You can have access to the confidence that I'm talking about here. You can have access to, to this confidence that goes beyond our accomplishments and goes beyond our ups and downs. And, you know, last week somebody sent in a question. They said, in today's climate, how can I continue to lead with God's word, with humility, boldness, and courage? And I started thinking about the answer to that question. I thought, how can we lead with this kind of confidence consistently that doesn't waver 
when we fail. And I, I started thinking the fact that, that there's no replacement. There's no replacement. All the things that you can do, there's no replacement for building practices in your life that are going to grow you in knowing your identity, who you are, right? That are going to grow you in practices that are going to increase your capacity. And I'm going to get really practical here because I am not by nature a really disciplined person, right? This is not my nature. But several years ago, after kind of following the roller coaster up and down and recognizing that the race that I've been called to is a supernatural race, I recognized that, that what, it called me, what God had called me to do, I could not do on my own. And I needed to put myself in a position where I was going to be able to build some spiritual muscle that I couldn't do it on my own strength. So I had to, to build some spiritual strength and that spiritual strength builds confidence. And so I recognize also that, that there were many, many days that I could not face my day with confidence because I was constantly in reaction mode. I, I was kind of a victim of whatever happened that day. Again, when things were going great, I was great. But when things were not going great, my confidence would waver. And, and so I'm going to get really practical and just talk about what I do to kind of face every single day, to face each day with confidence. And what I found is that if I can confidently attack my day, then after a week, I have confidently attacked my week. And then weeks turn into months and years. And so what I'm talking about is being able to begin the day with confidence is really the key about living in confidence because what is life? It's made up of our days. And so, like I said, because what I'm getting ready to say is not because, and I want you to hear this, this is not because I am extremely disciplined. It's because I am extremely desperate. I recognize that I cannot do and you cannot do what you've been called to do in your own strength. So my day, every day, starts the night before. So the night before, before I go to bed, every single night, I do something and I, I have kind of a, a nightly routine. And the first thing I do is that I write down the top three things that I need to accomplish the next day. This doesn't seem very spiritual, but I'm going to tell you why it is in just a minute. So here's my list from this morning. I need to finish my leadership lesson check. And then I need to prepare for staff meeting and I need to call my mom. She had called earlier that day. I need to make sure that I do that. And the reason I do this is because this helps me sleep better, first of all, because if I don't do this, I'm probably going to wake up in the night thinking about one of these things. But also that helps me because the first thing in the morning, I set my alarm for 445. And when I get up, right, I am ready to go because the night before I have set out what everything I need to start my morning. I set out my Bible study. I've already picked my worship song that I'm going to be worshiping with that morning. And I, I've done a few other things. So I have everything ready the night before. So when I get up at 445, I have my coffee cup ready to go. And then I start into my day. And the reason I made this list the night before is because if I didn't make this list the night before, when I go to pray, this is all I'm thinking about. So I get up in the morning. First thing I do is I have, I make my coffee, I have my Bible study, and then I jump into worship. Then I have my prayer time. And during my prayer time, I have my list ready to go, right? And so I've made my prayer list. And then as I pray, I spend a little bit of time of just listening just hearing the Holy Spirit after I've prayed and telling him everything I want to say to him, I give him a little bit of space to talk back to me. And then after I have my prayer and worship time, I write in my journal. First of all, I write five things that I'm grateful for that day. 
And I found that gratitude is actually one way of just setting my mind and my heart in the right direction. When I write down those five things, I'll go back to that list later. And maybe if it's someone on that list, I'll try to send them a text to let them know how grateful I am. And then I write in my journal and I'm not a big journaler. And so I want to tell you how I started this practice of journaling. And this has built my confidence in writing because I thought I'm not a writer. I I always felt bad because I didn't journal. And so what I would do is I said, you know, I'm going to start small. I'm going to set my timer for three minutes. And all I do is I, I journal for three minutes. Well, after a year, I got up to four minutes, right? And so it doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but I had a full journal for the first time in my life. But I really decided to start small. And then I say, I have something called my daily declarations. And I'll tell you why I have these declarations. This goes back to confidence. Because what I found was, is that my life moves in the direction of my strongest thoughts. You've probably heard that before. I also realized my day would move in the direction of my strongest thoughts. And so I had to do something at the beginning of my day to instill confidence, right? To be able to set my thoughts, to to inform my thoughts, to direct my day. And so the first thing is my declaration every day, Jesus, you're first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify you. You are for me and you want me to flourish. I am disciplined and I order my life to grow closer to him. Very aspirational because I told you at the beginning, I really am not that disciplined. I'm more disciplined now than I was when I wrote that, when I, when I wrote that declaration. But declarations are aspirational. It's what God says over us. And then we can step into the word that he has for us. So this is, there's nothing that actually can replace these practices. But then right after that, I exercise and I try to do this every single morning because I know that I cannot separate my spirit man from my physical body. This is, this is the temple. This is what is housing everything else that I have to do. And so it's important that we stay strong and healthy. I, I consider that a spiritual practice. Most of the time, I listen to a leadership podcast or a book that I'm reading during that time. So that, that kind of frames my morning. And those practices have actually built my confidence like nothing else has because I recognize that my confidence cannot come from within me. I have to inform my spirit man with what God says about me so that I can walk in confidence in everything he has for me. So first it's building practices that are going to build your confidence. Secondly, to know yourself, you have to know yourself, right? I said before, you know, God's word says that I am a masterpiece, but I also know that I can be a train wreck right? So I know myself and I have to know my strengths and my weaknesses. I have to be self-aware. See, we all have natural strengths and weaknesses. And I think it's important, you know, to grow in your confidence that you learn how to to use some of the tools that are available. I mean, literally just really simple tools like your Myers-Briggs, your Enneagram. And because of these tools, I've been able to give language to some of my strengths and weaknesses. And it's helped me to not be so hard on myself, right? I know that one of my strengths is that I am a very driven person. I'm very goal-oriented. But the shadow side of this, my weakness is, is that I can be a workaholic and I can be very task-driven and I can speed by people and maybe not even say hi to them. Knowing my weaknesses helps me to become more self-aware and realize that, that I need to build on my strengths, yes, but I can't ignore my weaknesses. You have to know yourself. I also know that I have the spiritual gift of encouragement, right? But I have been, one of, the, one of my roles here at the church is that I look after the team that looks after our human resources department. So I have this gift of encouragement. And so I see the best in people. So I need to have people around me 
that actually have the gift of discernment, right? In order to accomplish the task that God has for me, it gives me confidence to know that I have this strength, but I know I can put people around me on my team in my life that have strengths and gifts that I do not have so that we can accomplish together what we've been called to do. You have to know your blind spots. We had a guy around here several years ago and Todd sat down with him and said, hey, I want to talk to you a little bit about maybe what might be a blind spot. And he said, oh, I already know all my blind spots. And Todd was like, wait a minute. Blind spots mean you're, you're blind to them. You, you can't see them. That's what blind means. You can't see them, right? And so a lot of times we think we know we're blind spots, but all of us have blind spots. All of us have things in our lives that we can't see. We have to invite people in our lives, right? We have to invite people in our lives to, to help us to see things that we don't see. And when you're inviting someone in your life, you need to invite a trusted person that you know who's for you, that you know is going to champion you, that you know has been compelled by love. And I would suggest it's someone a little bit further down the road than, than we are that, that sees you day in and day out. Invite them in to be able to help you to see the blind spots that you have. You know, they need to see things that, that you can't see. I'll give you a really practical example of this. I am on a team here at the church and it's called our, our senior leadership team. And I'm the only female in the room. Now, this is not necessarily a gender specific thing, but on the team, there are most of them are men of few words, right? And so I'm a woman of many words. And so I would come into a meeting and when I would want to present an idea, like I would want to present the whole picture, right? And I would want to tell them just everything about it. And so finally I said, hey, Todd, I just want to open, you know, again, is there anything that you can see? Because what I saw was sometimes it, you know, I would see these blank stares and I would prepare and I was thinking I was giving this amazing presentation. And he said, you know, Julie, you are saying in a thousand words, what could be said in 10. And so in that moment, I went, that is true. Because it's, again, it's not about me and my many words. It's about how they receive the communication. And so what Todd was telling me, he was giving, he was telling me about a blind spot that I did not know I had. Then he said, you, if you can just cut it, in half, we'd all be grateful. And he was actually really kind about it, but that helped me. He saw something that I did not see. And so I asked him a lot, you know, I'm like, hey, what is it like to be on the other side of me? That is a question that you can ask so that you can know your blind spots. This is the deal. We need to know where to find confidence when we don't have it. We need to know ourselves, our weaknesses and our strengths. We also need to know our stuff right? And I'm talking about confidence here. If we're going to be a confident leader, we have to know our stuff. In what area you're leading in, you need to grow yourself. You need to invest in yourself. Competence will lead to confidence. And I, I think this is so important because I think sometimes when we're in a job or we're in leadership, we expect our leaders or the organization that we're working for to develop us and to grow us. I mean, for us, we try to do a lot around here to, to invest in leadership, but at the same time, that, that we can become entitled with that. And I think it's important, whatever assignment that you're in right now, is that there, there's a scripture in Colossians 3.23 that whatever you do, work as unto the Lord, like, like as if Jesus was sitting right there. 
and, and you knew you wanted to do your very best. Whatever you're doing, whatever assignment you're in, remember your assignment, whatever you're doing right now, and it might even be a job that you don't even like, but I really believe that, that we have been called as leaders, as spiritual leaders, to be leaders with excellence and that we're going to grow ourselves. We're going to be the best teacher. We're going to be the one that gets there first and leaves last. We're going to be leaning in. So your assignment may be to be a teacher, an ICU nurse, a translator, whatever your assignment is, a mom, you may have an assignment, but remember your assignment is about what you do. Your calling is about your who, and you have been called to be an ambassador, right? You have been called to be a a masterpiece. You've been called to be a representative of Jesus wherever your assignment is. So your calling and your assignment are two different things. And excellence will increase your influence. We're talking about leadership. Excellence is going to increase your influence in your leadership. So I'm just want to challenge you is that to know your stuff, to be the, to be the expert. If you, if you don't know how to even begin, I think, you know, one of the things you can do if you don't know how to do your best, or maybe you're not even sure where to begin is to ask the person, because to be a great leader, first, it takes being a great follower to ask the person that's leading you, how can I serve the mission and the vision and the purpose of our workspace? How can I serve this place in my job even better? How can I take it to the next level? And I think this is going to increase your confidence. It's also going to increase your leader's confidence in you when they see that you're striving for excellence, which actually leads me to the extreme. Because we've been talking a lot about confidence. And we said that in order to be an, an extreme leader, you have to live in these two extremes. There's extreme confidence, which I believe that when you know yourself, when you know what God says about you and you know your stuff, you're going to be extremely confident. But then there's this other part that is about extreme humility. And what I want you to hear first is that humility is not the opposite of confidence. Humility is actually what happens when you place your confidence in him and what he says about you, and you recognize that his strength is perfect, so you don't have to be, right? It takes the pressure off. Humility is when when you recognize it's not the opposite of confidence. It's like, I can be confident in who you say I am, and I can be confident in your strength, that your strength is perfect. So I, I don't have to be perfect. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking less about yourself. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking less about yourself and more about other people. Because remember we said that, that our leadership is not just about us. It's about other people, that, that we have to be compelled by loving other people and leading into them into the purposes that, that God has on their life. And so I think that, again, just as I said, we build practices in our lives to build our confidence, I believe there's practices that we can build into our lives to increase in our humility, right? Because humility can feel like it's weakness, but it's actually strength under control. It's strength with confidence. And and there's a couple things, you know, a lot of times life will humble us. Failure will make us humble. The fact that we're imperfect and and we may not feel like we always measure up. So there's always going to be things that are going to humble us. And I, I used to think that the only way to really build humility was to be humiliated, right? It was, it was like this reaction, well, I'm just going to be humbled. And so this is how I'm going to learn humility. But I actually believe that you can actually build into your own humility by building practices. So the first thing is to admit your failures and mistakes. 
a lot of times when you're in a leadership role, it's hard to admit when you're wrong. And we say a lot around here that you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. You don't have to be perfect. It's okay to fail, but it's much better to admit your failures, admit your mistakes. Don't be defensive because when we don't admit our mistakes or our failures, we end up kind of going to what we call blame, complain, and defend mode, right? And we start blaming other people. We start complaining because, oh, the reason I didn't, you know, why I dropped that ball is because somebody else didn't tell me that that was my ball to carry. And then we can defend ourselves and nobody around you gets better right? Your team doesn't get better. You're not better when you go into BCD, blame, complain, defend mode. So it's first of all, it's admitting your failures and mistakes. And I think this is a humbling experience, right? The second thing you can do to build practice of humility is, and I say this a lot, and I think Todd's modeled this really well, is hidden service. I think a lot of times that that we live in an age where social media and that everything is kind of documented, right? the good and sometimes the bad, but mostly the good. And so I think it's important that that we all find ways to serve people and serve others in a way that we're not going to get any credit for it, any recognition. And this is what I call hidden service. And and I say this about Todd because, you know, a lot of times, yes, we actually go on mission trips and we we do a lot of great things as a church and, and we celebrate those things because we want you guys to know, man, look what we did. We built a home in Honduras together. We, we impacted lives out in Belle Glade. We impacted lives right here in our own community. We want you guys to know that. But I think sometimes that it could seem like that's the only service, right? But Todd has done such an incredible job because there's ways that he serves our family and he serves people that you're never even going to hear about and nobody knows about it. There's no video camera around, but everything that you see, the confidence that you see on the platform, I believe is an outflow of who he is behind the curtain backstage. And I think sometimes we can get so busy serving humanity that we can forget to serve the humans that are sleeping in the bed next to us, that are in the bedroom next to us, that are our closest to us. And so I think it's important to build humility that we continue to find ways and to serve someone that can never do anything to serve us back. The last thing I think I said this earlier is to ask the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And that's a very vulnerable question. You wouldn't want to ask that to everybody. If you have teenagers right now, I wouldn't even suggest that you ask them that question right now because you want to ask someone that you know, again, that that is mature, that's for you. But I did actually, there, there was a season of time when I knew that there was some areas of growth. I Someone had been brave enough to share some blind spots with me. And I remember going to, to my family, to Todd, to my son, to some people that work closest to me. And I said, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And, and I remember hearing things that were not very fun to hear. You know, Julie, you always seem busy. You seem preoccupied. You don't seem present. It seems like it's kind of a chore when we go on vacation because you seem like you'd rather be working than be with us. Not easy things to hear. <laughs> they humbled me. But asking that question changed my life. It, it changed the way because that was certainly not my heart, but I got to see some things I would have never seen any other way. 
And so we can embrace that question and ask it to trusted people. And I would just encourage you to begin to, to ask these kinds of questions, to build in these kind of practices so that you can be this extreme leader. You know, I was thinking about just this whole idea of, of confidence and humility and what happens when they come together. Because again, they're not extremes. They actually can coexist. And when they do coexist, it is powerful and it is beautiful and it is attractive. And there's a synergy that happens in our leadership when we embrace these. And I, I remember several years ago when we were stepping into senior leadership that, you know, we've never been a church where or an organization even that titles were that important. But we realized as we got larger that, you know, we people needed to know what other people were doing. And so we did have to start giving titles like pastor or connections director or, you know, dream team leader. So we did have to have titles. But I kind of been in that whole era, grew up in that era where it was a, a sign of humility to be able to function and lead without ever having a title that became actually a, a, almost a little bit of a false humility because I thought, I'm going to lead, but I'm not going to have a title. Well, then when we stepped into senior leadership and the, the communications team and some of the team around here was like, Julie, you know, you are a pastor. I mean, you've been pastoring, but I think that you need to, when we sign off on your email account or when, when someone might refer to you, I, you're Pastor Julie, right? And I was like, well, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that title. I knew I was pastoring and I had already wrestled my theology to the ground. I was very confident in my theology that women could be pastors, but I still had this wrestle with me because I thought, you know, I I just don't want to be called that because I don't want people to think that I'm like, you know, that I think I'm something or, you know, especially being the senior pastor. And, um, and it got a little bit confusing, you know, so I was like, well, you can call us pastors, Todd and Julie, that's okay. But whenever it just became to that title attached to my name, I had a wrestle until one day I realized that my leadership is not really about me. And this was about nine years ago. And I realized that if I didn't step in and embrace that title, it was the position I was in, that there were other people, because there were girls across all of our campuses that were serving and leading, and, and they, they might have been doing the same thing in student ministries at one campus that a guy was doing at another campus, but this might have been Pastor Ryan, and over here was Ashley. And so I realized that that to be able to, to open the door for other people to step into their leadership, that it meant that that confident and humility had to come in together, that the most humble thing that I could do at that moment was do what I thought wasn't humble in the past, you know, was to step into a title. I'm sharing that because it made me realize that sometimes, you know, in this confident humility journey, there's awkward situations. And I've said before that I call my leadership journey kind of the AA journey, awkward to amazing. Not that I would go from awkward to amazing, but that maybe that I could press into some awkward situations so that the girls coming behind me could be amazing and not have to worry about having to make a way or, or having to be, you know, confusing about what their job is. So I'm just sharing that confidence and humility can coexist. And when they do coexist, everyone around is better. You actually are lifting a lid on other people when you can be confident, extremely confident and extremely humble. And so all of us, we probably have an area, whether we feel like that we're stronger in, whether it's confidence or humility. And so my homework for you this week is to say, what am I going to do this week to take one step to be extremely confident and extremely humble? 
Well, thank you so much for joining in this episode of the So Good Podcast. Don't forget to check out the show notes. It has all that you need from this episode and a bonus guide to help your sisterhood group dig a little deeper on the conversation today. I can't wait to be with you all again. And hopefully this conversation has left you saying so good or ten bueno for all of our Latin sisters out there. Hey, love you ladies. And I can't wait for our next conversation. We're so glad you joined us today for the So Good Sisterhood podcast. For additional resources and show notes from today's episode, check out our website, SoGoodSisterhood.com. Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but He's always doing a new thing. What step are you going to take today so you don't miss out on it? If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend or just leave us a comment. We hope today's episode leaves you feeling so good.